Easter Sunday is also known as Lord's Day. And as we celebrate the Resurrection Sunday today, the reason why we Christians nowadays gather together not on Sabbath day, which is Saturday, but on Saturday, because the early Christians gather on Sunday morning to celebrate, to, to remember the hope of resurrection on Easter, Easter Sunday. And I've chosen um, today's scripture text, the shortest account of Easter story, um, from the Gospel of Mark. But before we get into, jump into that text, let's think about just maybe three, at least three reasons why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. Um, even compared to Christmas Day, and if you name one day, that will be historical event for the entire Christian church. Moreover, entire human history, the cross and the resurrection marks the cornerstone of the, the dividing point of human history. It is not a side Thing, a religious uh, event, but it is really the historical event on which all Christ followers stand. Because of that, it is, first of all, it is the essence of Easter's good news. The word gospel means good news, and the Greek word from which the Greek word comes from, uh, we got the good news from the Greek word, Newangelion. You could feel that uh, root word, the new uh, uh, eulogy and uh, nuance, and all those things that the good proclaiming word, proclaiming news. This was the news that uh, a messenger from the battlefield would come waving with victory news. That was the good news. Good news of Jesus Christ. What is the good news? Well, there's so many different kinds of way to go about doing this in these days. The good news is this and good gospel is this. But early Christians, good news is Jesus is alive. The good news is if Jesus is alive, he claimed to be he is who claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised Savior and Lord. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus is so important because it is the foundation on which Christian faith is laid. Now, to be a genuine Christ follower, to mean it means to receive resurrection, to even precisely describe it bodily resurrection, not just the spiritual resurrection in a way that Jesus' spirit is alive in us, uh, that kind of new age-ish. 
Uh, Elvis is alive in somewhere, you know. If you claim to be a Christian, according to the scripture, that means you receive it and you stand it on, on it. And thirdly, it is the determining, fact, determining factor for our salvation, our eternal life. Um, to borrow Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. You are also even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Those are not only poignant words, but dividing words. It, we are standing at the fork of the road to this morning. All humankind gets divided into two category of people, those who believe the risen Savior and those who reject the risen Savior. And as a Christ follower also too, it's not a mental, easy believism, but the Mark's gospel is so much of a action-oriented. And if you read through the, uh, the other gospels, you will not find this word too often. But throughout the gospel of Mark, you hear the words immediately. So relatively, he gets into the facts, he gets into the truth, he gets into the action, and he implies immediacy of Christian followers, immediacy of Christian discipleship, that we are to follow, that our easy believism is dead unless we act upon it and immediately follow Jesus. So which means this morning, uh, this is for some of us the first time encounter at the fork of the road. What will you do about the resurrection of Jesus? Will you believe it or will you reject it? There's a little bit of preview of end of my message. If you open your Bible to Mark 16, probably most of, if not all of you, it doesn't matter what kind of translation you, you might have. Mark's Gospel has 20 verses. But there's an interesting thing. Verse 8 is actually 
the end of original manuscript that Mark has written. Most scholars would agree on that, and there is uh, plenty of uh, um, evidence for that. So because of that, right after verse 8, the modern translations will include 9 through 20, but there's a bracket. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16 verse 9 through 20. Why? Why was this added? Why did Mark ended his gospel so abruptly? His gospel is shortest one anyway. It's only 16 chapters. And other gospels are more than 20 some chapters. Right? So let's begin with this thought in verse 1. What are four things that mark the first Easter morning according to Gospel of Mark? The first mark is the woman. I would add unlikely, unlike evidence for the resurrection. And it wasn't only Mark, but other gospel writers mentions woman. In this case, Mark's gospel, three women, but other gospels, more women. Other gospels zooms in in Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus as the first witness. Look at verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun has risen, they went to the tomb. When the Sabbath is passed, Sabbath is Saturday, unlike a Western thought, the Jewish day begins with sundown to sundown. So Friday, 5, 6 o'clock, at 6 o'clock p.m. would be the beginning of Sabbath. And then Saturday, 6 o'clock or so, will be the Sabbath, ending of Sabbath. Sabbath was passed. And then these three women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James and Salome, also known as uh, the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder. Remember that Jesus, uh, the, the mother approached Jesus in asking uh, the Lord as their... <laughs> As they're heading towards Jerusalem. This is the first tiger mom asking, or helicopter mom, whichever you choose. Would you put my son in one in your right and one in your left when you are in, coming to the kingdom? He, he, she meant the picture of the literal political kingdom. 
Anyway, these three women were devout followers, and they were the caregivers of 12 disciples along with Jesus. And they're heartbroken. In verse uh, chapter 15, they actually followed the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, because it, the rich man who belonged to Sanhedrin, who was also a follower of Christ, by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, he was a rich man, he had a tomb that has never been used, and asked the body from, from the governor, and he took the body and wrapped in cloth, and they put him into the tomb, and the big round stone was rolled in. Several men, it took several men to roll that stone and then seal the tomb. They actually followed and saw it. And a while, very early, first day, which means Sunday now, Other Gospels say, while it was still dark. So we're thinking about what, 4, 4 o'clock, 4.30, maybe even earlier. And they head out to that tomb. They're carrying spices. It's a typical tradition of the day. They would apply the spices on the corpse. To minimize the smell of decay. Loving act. And you could see that although they were devout followers of Jesus, they were not looking for risen Savior, hoping that Jesus would be alive. They were looking for body, dead body of Jesus to express their grief and their care and their love on that body. And if you were in that historical context, context, you would know immediately, unlike today's world, women are the lower classes. And certain second class citizens are not validated as a reliable witnesses along with women. Their witness in the court of law was not counted because they thought the woman's uh, witness is not reliable. But and yet, here in the first Easter morning, it's not those 12 disciples. It's not Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. But it was these three women. The question is why? The reason why this is a counterintuitive evidence is if you 
are banking on this story to work, and if you are, if you were fabricating the story, women are the last people that you would use in the story, especially in the beginning. Then why are these women mentioned in this Easter morning story? Because it really happened. I think the beautiful aspect of Mark's style of storytelling. He doesn't waste any sentences. He gives away his desire to literally beautiful. He gets to the point and gives to the facts. And that's why a lot of stories even leading up to that. The disciples are so messy because they're angry, because they're disobedient, they make a mistake. And Mark just leaves it at that. Reality without fabricating. There is no Hollywood touch here. And if you borrow uh, John's gospel, and not only hearing the message from the angel, but one of the women had first encounter face-to-face with risen Savior. John 20, verse 15 below. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be gardener, it was still still dark, and she was sobbing, grieving. She didn't look up. The man speaks to him, speaks to her, and she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you, had, you have laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, and I make Rabboni, the enduring word for teacher, enduring word for rabbi. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And not only first woman, group of women, heard the message of Easter angel. But the first woman, the very first person who encountered reason Jesus face to face was woman. And if I'm imagining Mark leaving it at that right now, what will you say about this? Number two thing is the empty tomb. This empty tomb is 
evidence for Jesus' resurrection actually begins here. Throughout the, the human history, uh, there was so many attempts from skeptics and people who are just angry religiously to denounce the resurrection of Jesus went on and on about proving. And even we heard that. Uh, I think last year there was a kind of news that they found Jesus born or Jesus' tomb somewhere and they finally discovered, which, which turned out to be hoax again. The question of empty tomb has never been proved to a false story. The empty tomb was acknowledged by non-Christians, unbelievers, as well as the believers. But the answer is quite peculiar. We're going to get into that a little bit. But verse 3 and 4 is implication of the empty tomb through Mark's words. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. And it was very large. Once again, they did not expect the risen Savior. Their concern was, we need to get to the body. The stone is too big, which took several men, strong men, to roll away. And these women were concerned about that. The stone was rolled away. Interesting factor. Other Gospels, in Book of Acts, uh, I mean, the... um, through, through the stories of other Gospels, gives us a picture of Jesus' resurrected body that was different. In other words, if you're resuscitated, you, you were dead and you're alive again, and then if you leave your body as it is, you will eventually die again. You will eventually, your body will decay. But Jesus' resurrected body will not decay. There's no more death in true body, in the spiritual body, but yet still physical body in which we will dwell for eternity. That's the powerful message of Easter and the Christian gospel. There's some supernatural things, not because he's, he was divine, from the beginning, but when the door was closed, somehow he went through a shut door that he would disappear instantaneously from one place to the other. Have you thought about this? The stone was rolled away. Not because Jesus need to get out of the tomb. But because the woman and other followers need to see the empty tomb. That Jesus is not there. He has risen. 
In other words, it is for us. The official reason that Jesus' Jewish leaders gave for the empty tomb, having acknowledged it is empty, was that Jesus' body was stolen by Jesus' disciples. In Matthew's account, verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 11 through 15, gives us that. <clears throat> Extra-biblical account. And historically, the reason for this public declaration was stolen body by Jesus' disciples as well. But Matthew tells it a very helpful way. In verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that that had, had taken place and and, and when they had assembled with the elders and take, taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the, to the soldiers, i.e. bribery, and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Why would they be concerned about governor in light of this thing? Because Roman soldiers, given the duty of protecting something when they fail their life is at stake they could execute it get executed so if you imagine if you're a roman soldier first of all if you do not protect this body from this tomb your life is at stake will you go to sleep even if you're tired of course not Okay, if even, even if you go to sleep, something happens to the body and the stone's being trying to move away, will you wake up? Of course. When you awake, will you do something about it if you, if you are a soldier against this fisherman? Vastly. It's a very nonsensical thing, isn't it? So what, what happened was the story was told told as a disciple's uh, uh, stolen body. The body could not have been taken by the disciples because the Roman soldiers. The body could not have been moved by Joseph of Arimathea because he doesn't have access because of soldiers and he doesn't have any motive. The body could not have been moved by the Jewish authorities if they had when they hear the story of resurrection proclaiming the streets of Jerusalem, all they had to do is, here's the body. You liars. The body could not be in the wrong tomb because woman saw where the Jesus was, Jesus was laid. 
Friday night. Okay, so it was at, in the dark. Woman didn't have a sense, good sense of direction. I, I don't mean you guys, okay? <laughs> Some women are more, more directionally developed than men. I, I don't know. <laughs> Let's just suppose that happened. Once again, there's a street preaching of the resurrection of Jesus by his followers. I have seen, we have seen, 500 people have seen the risen Jesus together. The Jewish authorities could have provided a body. Stop preaching that. They didn't have any answer. As a matter of fact, some of you guys uh, heard about the name Simon Greenleaf. He was a Harvard Law professor. And actually, by, the, by his name, they started uh, law school, which became now a Trinity Law School. Trinity Law School, I think, right about 10 minutes from here. And I think our own Daniel Ahn is teaching part-time there on his spare time. Simon Greenleaf was a non-Christian who had a confidence to try, as he tried to debunk the myth of resurrection. And the legal evidence, which is different from you know, scientific evidence, the scientific evidence is that not the only, because scientific evidence has to be repeated. In hypothesis, has to be uh, gone through the experiment again. But in the legal court, historical legal evidence is understanding and investigating every detail of surrounding. He could not deny. Their empty tomb was there because of the only viable option was the resurrection of Jesus. And he decided to follow Christ. And he became just passionate advocate of Jesus, the risen Savior. And I think there are several people the closest one here is, is the uh, Chicago Tribune reporter by the name of Lee Strobel. He too went to legal evidence, historical evidence, and he has written the case for Christianity, and then subsequent, subsequently he wrote case for resurrection of Jesus as well. Number three factor that marked the Easter, first Easter morning was the angel's message. Look at verse five. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. 
And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. It's, there goes Mark again. In other Gospels, angel in a shining, dressed white robe. But Mark gives factual things. Young men sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. You decide. That's what he's doing right now. And what does he say specifically? Do not be alarmed. Do not fear. That's always the, any angelic presence. Uh, even comparatively, when you think about the holiness of God, the divine, sovereign God, presence of God, everybody's fall flat on the, on the, on the ground. And Moses did, Jacob did, any kind of the encounter, divine encounter. And so is the appearance of angelic being. So that angel's uh, appearance produces so much of fear, not just scary feeling, but it's sovereign God and power of holiness of God shows up glory of God shows up. It's frightening. Awesome. So that their word is always to not fear. To not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. He has risen. He's not here. The first greeting of Easter morning. If you look at the Greek word, he has risen, is actually passive voice. He is raised by God himself. He's risen. From which the Eastern Orthodox Church developed and became and quite worldwide, I, I, I see evangelicals do it all the time here too, which is known as a Paschal greeting. Paschal, it means from uh, Latin word, Passover. Remember, Jesus' death around the time was a Passover feast. The Paschal greeting is actually East, Easter greeting from not only Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church, but even here in America. He's risen. And the people will respond with, He's risen indeed. There's a various version. Christ is risen. Yes, Christ risen indeed. From this verse along with other uh, Luke's gospel as well. Why is this important? Mark is going at, once again, with the realism and factual truth presents to us, 
to the readers and force us to decide on our own instead of telling us. Just in Mark's gospel alone, Jesus foretold his suffering, death, and his resurrection three times. Chapter 8, 9, and 10. So when he mentions these three chapters and redundancy of his foretelling, what he's implying is this. He has said this so many times. It, it, it was abundantly clear to the disciples, although he, they did not understand fully what that meant. Let's read a couple of them, I mean, at least a few of them. Uh, Mark 8, verse 31. He began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Mark 9, 31. For he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Mark 10, 32. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and delivered him, deliver him over to the Gentiles, meaning Romans. Uh, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. After three days, he will rise. which is consist, consistent with Easter greeting of first morning by the angel. The message was implying, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, suffering and death, delivered to the hands of chief priests and scribes, killed by the Romans, Gentiles. And after three days, he will rise again. And just to be clear, any of the part of the day in Jewish calendar is called a day. Friday, he was uh, he was placed in, laid in the tomb. Friday, sundown before sundown, and then Saturday becomes one day. And then Sunday morning becomes the third day. The result is in Mark's Gospel, in this short account of first Easter morning, is a fresh encounter. A powerful, supernatural encounter. Shown and natural 
in the natural, in the messy world. The divine word of Jesus is equated as word of God that can never fail. So it was not only the woman, the empty tomb, the angel's message. And fourthly, Jesus' promise. For the crescendo and powerful effect in Mark's gospel is that Jesus' promise is used as abrupt ending. Verse 7, this is angel, continually angel, angel speaking. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he was going to, he was going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they, had, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. End of the gospel. Whoa! What do we do? Do you know... Um, Well, be- before we get into this, let me elaborate a little bit about how troubling the Christian church has been through all, through all this. The earliest manuscripts. So now, you know, modern scholars have sourced, uh, reached the source to the earliest manuscripts. But the King James around that time didn't have that source. So the King James started all this. King James Virgin had 9 through 20. 9 through 20 is not necessarily a cultic idea. Every word seemed fitting and almost like a good closure. By the, by the way, a lot of those sentences are literally taken from Gospel of Luke and Gospel of Matthew and matched, smashed together. Appearances of Jesus to 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 his disciples. And Jesus saying, Go, therefore, to every nation. Share the good news. Mark's, I mean, their version of Matthew's ending, Great Commission, 28, 18 through 20. Is it wrong? You know the early early days of, uh, even maybe a uh, hundred years ago, everybody thought this part is really the inerrant, infallible word of God, and any any scholars would challenge the um, the origin of that text. People are afraid. Well-meaning people. But if we don't see Mark's purpose and his style, 
we're going to actually mess up his abrupt ending, which was intentional and deliberate. Mark's ending is deliberate in the sense that he gives us pure truth and facts with messiness, with brokenness, with failure of his followers. And here's divine word of God and has been beginning of his, his gospel has been proven over and over. And he lives it at that. Will you, what will you do about it? To make that very clear, few chapters prior to that, verse, chapter 14, verse 27, he records his promise. 27 says, And Jesus said to them, You will fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Oh, later on, Jesus himself eventually go to Galilee. And because they didn't know what to do, Peter said, let's go. I'm going fishing because he, they used to be fishermen three and three and a half years ago. And they go. All of the disciples just, okay, I'll go. We'll go with you. And they encounter risen Jesus. But prior to that, they're hiding out in Jerusalem behind the closed door, locked door. They're afraid. They're dis disillusioned. Didn't know what to do. They didn't really believe the promise of Jesus. And the woman becomes the fact that they were just astonished by divine-like presence in front of them. And then the words that have spoken by the angel, they're trembling. And they said nothing to anyone. Is there a contradiction? Other Gospels, they told the disciples. And Mary Magdalene went to Peter and said, this is what happened. He is not there. He's risen. I have seen the Lord. No, I think what Mark is doing right now here is momentarily, immediate reaction, they're frozen. They couldn't do anything. They failed terribly, miserably. They devout, full surrender to Jesus could not match up with actual obedience to preach the gospel from that instantaneous moment. Maybe there were some soldiers still lingering around somewhere. They didn't do anything. So when you think about when you think about how Mark ends his gospel abruptly, we're given this challenge, faith challenge. Oh, this is a beautiful fact as well, right? Some of our unbelieving friends will say, I will believe Jesus instantaneously if he shows up in front of me. Do you know that in Latin world and in the Catholic tradition, there are so many uh, instance, 
instantaneous appearance of Jesus kind of in the cloud, in, in the mountain, some sea, in some painting, all kinds of things, right? But truth is, even if people that they have experiences like that, they do not come to come to faith. What Mark's doing is he's giving us the, the facts and truth in front of us. And here is the word of Jesus as the sovereign Lord's word. Here is the failures and human frailties of his followers. Do you believe? And he chose not to share this nice ending stories of Jesus' appearance to many people. First of all, Mark's gospel is known as 99% of the scholars. The first gospel ever written. Before Luke and Matthew and John's way later. And Matthew and John have borrowed the stories, relied on the account of Mark and the other saying known as Q. And those two became their sources. As we, as we conclude, I present C.S. Lewis's quote, which is another skeptic who turned out to be a devout follower of Jesus who examined with his intellectual integ integrity every fact about Jesus. He writes, The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced the door open that has been locked since the death of first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. Because of this, isn't that beautiful? Because of this, Apostle Paul takes that and personalizes for us as our faith in risen Savior is eternal hope for our own resurrection. In 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he writes, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks to be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I think about this hope, I think about my grandma, whom I dearly miss. When I think about this passage, I think about my dad at the very last year of his life on earth. Who received Christ.
I think about my brother who was struck with brain infection that has no cure. By the grace of God, he's surviving, but his speech impediment in right side of muscle paralysis prevented him from working, preaching as a, as a pastor, driving. Whenever he speaks one or two sentences, such a hard effort. I think about my own death, my own frailty. But as a Christian, my confession is this. I'm afraid of pain of death, how I'll die. But I'm not afraid of death no longer. Death does not have strong grip on me or on you if you belong to Christ. On the day when Jesus returns in the twinkling of an eye, our body will be resurrected. If we're still alive, that will be such a blessing. If we're in the already laid in the dust, the dead body will be raised. And once again, I am so grateful and I want to thank each one of you who are joining us this morning, especially who are visiting with us. My, my earnest and gentle charge for each one of you is, what will you do about the message of Resurrection Sunday, Easter? If you have not done that, come Repent, turn around from your ways to God's way. Receive Jesus Christ as a free gift of salvation by faith and faith alone and by grace and grace alone in Christ and Christ alone. If you have been following Christ all these years, how long it may be, and this message is for you as well, Will you renew your hope? Will you repent from your lukewarmness? Will you put your wholehearted trust in risen Savior? Will you delight and rejoice in the hope of risen Savior? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He give you joy of Easter hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your scripture. And it really has opened up our eyes again. And today as we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, help us embrace. Help us to share this good news to those who we encounter, our loved ones, or the people we associate with. And may we continually live in this hope, staying spiritually awake, that you are the most treasured joy in our lives and life to come. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.